Let's talk about Labour now. This week, The Guardian revealed that the party is preparing a flag-waving strategy to connect with former Red Wall voters, all about losing or winning over, rather, the people that they lost at the last election. Plays into a wider debate, of course, around identity that's fueled a lot of British politics over the last few years. Uh, joining us to discuss all of this is Paula Surridge. She's Deputy Director of the UK in a Changing Europe and a political sociologist at Bristol University as well. Um, Paula, I mean, you spend a lot of time thinking about this. Is this the sort of thing that you see voters going through or are they more likely to see right through it? I mean, Keir Starmer, he's a Remain voting liberal metropolitan. Uh, that, that much should be clear. Uh, and it may seem slightly disingenuous if he now comes across as a, as a flag-waving patriot. So I think you have to strip it back a little bit further than that and think about the types of voters that the document was aimed at winning back and that these strategies are aimed at winning back. And these are not the voters that are listening to this program, that are paying close attention to Westminster day in, day out. And so the symbols and symbolism is a bit more ephemeral for them. And so seeing the Labour Party using these symbols is more of a subconscious um, connection rather than trying to connect very explicitly with the um, national identity of a particular Labour leader or Labour figure. And I think in that sense, it's something that the Labour Party probably needs to do at some level in order to reconnect with voters in some parts of this, con of this country. But that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, having flags on every leaflet that goes through the door and, and the other things that seem to have become part of this debate over the last couple of days. In some ways, it seems bizarre that uh, to assume that the voters will be moved by these particular things. Because if we think of the people we're talking about, uh, are they people historically? I mean, Labour has not been closely identified with patriotism, particularly in the past, and yet they voted Labour then. So it almost seems to be addressing a problem that, that, that isn't really at the core of it. Um, I think it was something that, that changed over the last 20 years. So if you go back and, and look at imagery from the Blair years and um, earlier, there's plenty of Union Jacks in all the imagery and all the pictures, um, but it isn't an explicit theme that's being written about at that time. It is the, the everyday nationalism that sociologists often talk about. Um, so I think then what happened was there was a period which Labour um, sort of almost explicitly turned away from those things that certainly was perceived as doing so during the Corbyn years. So now they're trying to reconnect with something that was implicit before, and that, I think, is, is generating some of the tension. Um, but there's, there's good evidence that actually large parts of the Labour base, large parts of the Labour voters in 2019, never mind the voters that turned away from Labour, do feel a sense of Britishness. These are not symbols that turn people off in great numbers. Um, and so there's, there's less danger there, perhaps, than people think. Yeah, I suppose there's room for, for nuance. And you touched upon it, I suppose, when you contrasted uh, sort of the Blair year, Cool Britannia use of the Union Jack with what we've seen since. I saw David Aronovich writing in today's Times that Labour should be patriotic, but about a modern Britain that can cope with its history and outward looking country rather than this nostalgic Britain that may never even have existed that we see a lot on the right um, sort of pander towards. Uh, do you think that is an achievable goal in, in an age where political messages have to be simple to get across? C is that that's something that Labour could communicate? I think it's something they've got to try. I don't know how successful it will be. And the, the, the problem that Labour has with this is that it always has a, another part of the party sort of wrestling against some of these things. So it does make it more difficult for them. Um, but I think it, it has to try, and it has to try to 
do this in, in subtle ways. I don't think it's about standing necessarily in front of rows and rows of flags, but it's the little symbols that, that stand out to people. Um, and that it's hard to correct. Once you've done them um, in a way that people dislike, that sticks and it's hard to correct. So it's something that they need to try and get right right from the start with new leadership. Yeah, it was interesting speaking to Tom Randall just now uh, in a, a red wall seat, former, formerly Gedling, of course, in Nottinghamshire, very sceptical, perhaps he would be, he's the Conservative MP, uh, about the chance of winning it back. But is there a wider point that actually maybe these seats aren't easily win, win-backable and they should be perhaps more looking towards former Tory safe seats in suburban England, a, a younger voter group, more middle class, more highly educated, more likely to have voted Remain? There is an argument about that. The problem is that there aren't that many of those seats um, that are easily winnable for Labour. Where there's, there's a lot of those seats where they don't have much presence at the moment at all, and actually they'd be more likely to be relying on a Lib Dem challenge in those seats than a challenge of their own. Um, there, there is no simple path back to power for Labour, and it's got to think about how to win over voters across the country in all different types of seats. How does that happen in principle, though? Because this is the thing. I mean, Labour gets accused of being different parties to different people. And it sort of has to be if it wants to win over these very disparate voter groups in the north and the south across different demographics. Uh, but, but when you run an election campaign, you have to sort of target a, a, a more uniform voter base, I, I suppose. How, how does that work? How does Labour achieve that? Well, I, I think that you might be starting from from the wrong place there in some ways because the Conservatives managed this perfectly well um, in 2019. Their voter base is very disparate on a different set of issues, but there are still big divisions within that um, um, Conservative electorate that they managed to unite. Um, and so I don't think it's an impossible thing for Labour to do, but it is a difficult thing for Labour to do. Uh, let me ask you then uh, about Keir Starmer himself, because he... Uh, it's been a figure that a lot of hope was put in. This would be someone who could reach out again to, to traditional Labour voters, but more widely than that. But there are some suggestions, for example, Stephen Bush in the New Statesman saying he really might not be up to the job. He, he seems to falter yesterday, for example, not getting the story right as to whether he'd supported the European's medicines agency or not. People are seeing perhaps this man has feet of clay. That's something that will be revealed over over time. I mean, we're all in these extraordinary times. Taking over as a party leader is never easy. And in these times when it's very difficult to um, get airtime for an, for an opposition party, you know, all across the world, um, that, that is a very difficult time. I think it's something we still need to just kind of watch and wait a little bit to see, to see how that evolves um, once something a little bit more similar to normal politics is resumed. And, and what about Labour standing in the polls at the moment? I mean, we, we've seen them sort of overtake the Tories by some measures, fall behind on others, uh, but, but broadly they don't seem to be moving too much over the last few, few, few weeks. Is this something that they should be pleased with, given that there's a pandemic, it's a very odd time, it may not be that we can read the normal things into polls as we otherwise would be able to? I think the polls are difficult to read at the moment, um, but one thing that I look at quite closely with polling is what's happening um, in the in the don't knows, because actually that can hide quite a lot of, of volatility that those people then have to kind of make a decision when it comes to an election. And one of the things we've been seeing in those polls is that people who voted for the Conservatives in 2019 are now much more likely to say they don't know how they would vote than people who voted for Labour in 2019. 
Now, that could be really good news for Labour, or it could be really bad news for Labour. And until we actually send people to the ballot box, we won't know. Um, because it could be that those voters are, are becoming detached from the Conservatives. They were never very strongly attached in the first place. That makes them easier for Labour to win back. Or it could be what we saw in the 2017 election, where these are voters that are uncertain at the moment, but when pushed to make a choice at the ballot box, go back, go back to their original party, go back to the Conservatives, in which case the gap um, will swing towards the Conservatives um, when people actually test votes. So it's, I think it's really hard to say which way that, that will pan out, but it's something worth watching.